morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to be here. God is a good God, isn't he? He is awesome God, God. Hey, um, did you guys hear the story about the young college student who was um, working on a construction crew one summer and they were building a high rise and uh, this guy was assigned to a welder who was working on the 12th floor and all they had beneath them was the steel beams that they were welding. And one day this guy's boss looked up and he saw this young man shaking in his boots and he said, are you scared? And the young man in a stuttering voice said, scared? I've been trying to tell you for two weeks that I quit. This young man was paralyzed by fear. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear? Has fear ever prevented you from taking a risk and living boldly for God? I want to talk to you today about letting go of fear. I have a feeling that some of us here this morning may need to do just that. Let go of fear heading into the new year, 2013. Our text for today is a single verse of scripture that is short but powerful. Paul is writing to young Timothy when he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I love the apostle Paul in this context because he was coming alongside a young man who was timid who was unwilling to risk, who was fearful. And he comes alongside young Timothy and he begins to talk about a certain type of fear. Now, we all know there are different types of fears. The fear that the young man had up on 12 stories on a steel beam was called acrophobia, the fear of heights. There's a fear called hydrophobia, the fear of water. There's a Fear called necrophobia, the fear of the dead. And one of mine that I have to deal with is claustrophobia, the fear of closed-in places. I just do not like closed-in places. I just don't like it at all. Elevators just, ah, no way. But I heard about a new one this week called burglophobia, the fear of burglars. Story is told about a husband and wife who'd been married for several years and Sometime in the night, the wife heard something and she nudged her husband and said, honey, would you go downstairs and see what's going on? I think I hear somebody. He says, oh, come on. It's just the cat. You know, go back to sleep. She said, no, I think I really hear somebody down there. So he says, okay. So he gets up, gets out of bed, goes downstairs. Lo and behold, he got to the bottom of the stairs and he saw this guy trying to go out the window with a bag of their things. He rushes over to this guy, grabs him and says, before I call the police, I want you to go upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting 20 years waiting on you and I do not want to disappoint her. You know, we're all plagued by fear, aren't we? Fear grips us. It can become debilitating in our lives. In our text, Paul talks about an unhealthy fear that he calls a spirit 
of fear. This is an attitude. It's a mood. It's a mental outlook that prevents a person from attempting something in the future. It's an unwillingness to risk. And the reason why this text is so important for us is that Paul was encouraging young Timothy to be bold in his faith. He was a little timid. In fact, the scriptures, some translators talk about this Timothy being a cowardice. He was fearful. I don't know about you, but I love people who see in me something that I don't see in myself. Paul came alongside young Timothy and he saw potential in him that Timothy did not even see in himself. Because fear was undermining his life. Fear was undermining his ministry. Preventing him from living boldly for God. So what was Paul's encouragement to young Timothy? This is what it was. He came alongside and he said, Timothy, you have everything that you need to live boldly for God. You have it already. It's there in you. He was saying, Timothy, this fear that you're feeling, this fear that is preventing you from living boldly for God, is not from God. Paul was saying to this young man, you don't have to live under this spirit of fear. You can live boldly for God because of what God has done in your life. He says, God has not given you spirit of fear, but he's given you power. This is not just pop gun power. This is power from almighty God through the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus met with the disciples before he ascended back to be with the father. And he said, wait right here because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Timothy, this power is not available because you're strong. This power is available because you're weak. And the weaker you are, the more available this power is. Paul was reminding Timothy that God had created him for a purpose. And this power is the strength to accomplish what God wills Timothy to accomplish. But fear grips us, doesn't it? Because we don't believe that we have the resources to meet the needs that are there. God never calls us to do anything that he is not able and willing to provide his power to accomplish. Is anybody awake today? He will never call you to do anything that he has not given you the power to accomplish. That's why he says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now... To him who is able, who is him, God, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to what? According to the power that is within us. The power that's within us. This brings whole new light on Philippians 4.13 when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, the truth is you can't do everything that you want to do. You cannot do everything that you would like to do. 
But the truth is you can do all things that God has called you to do because he has given you the power to be able to do it. So he says, Timothy, you have this power. He says, Timothy, you have this love. Many times we think of love as a feeling, this tingly thing that we get. And while it is that, it's much more than that. It's God's commitment to us. God's commitment to you. And he demonstrated that commitment on the cross. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got our act together, not after we got ourselves cleaned up, not after we became better people. He said, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul was reminding young Timothy, you have this love. And God's love is a perfect love. It's the, it's the power that replaces fear, this spirit of fear. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The word perfect that's translated here is from the word teleos. It describes that which has reached its end, that which has reached its intended purpose. So God's love for us accomplishes God's purpose when it heals our guilt. No fear. When it gives us the certainty of our security in Christ. No fear. When it fills us with a complete confidence that we have been accepted in spite of what we've been, in spite of what we've said, in spite of what we've done, guess what? No fear. Is that good news? So here's how this works. We experience God's perfect love in what he did and what he does through Jesus Christ. Christ was, Christ is God's love accomplishing its goal in our lives. And that is the reconciliation of sinful people to a holy God. The word reconciliation is a $2 word that simply means bringing two people who are at odds with each other together in unity and harmony. The reason that Jesus went to the cross was for our sin, not just for our sins. The sin of unbelief, the guilt-motivated refusal to be loved by the Father and to love the Father in return. See, on the cross, Jesus took our guilt on himself and he received the full impact of the judgment of God against sin. For three long hours, Jesus suffered estrangement from the Father for the first time in eternity. He was separated from his father. That 
That is the love that was demonstrated on the cross for you and for me and for young Timothy. Paul was telling him something happened here that was so significant. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he made him... God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about this with me for a second. Him, Jesus, the sinless son of God, became sin on the cross so that I, a sinful person, could receive and become the righteousness of God in Christ. What an exchange. What an exchange. That's the love that you have, Timothy, said Paul. So love and fear cannot coexist. It's impossible. It's impossible. You have this power. You have this love. And he also says, you have a sound mind, a single-minded discipline. Would anybody here agree that one of the most common manifestations of fear in our society today would be worry? worry. Anybody here worried about anything? (laughs) Worried about the new year, worried about finances, worried about relationships, worried about jobs, worried about what's coming next, worried about what's coming around the corner. Anybody here worried? Jesus spends some time teaching about worry in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And he's basically saying that if you put God first, then God will take care of all of your needs. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. All of these things are the basic needs of life, food, clothing, everything that you need, God will provide for you if you put him first. If you put him first. The word worry in those nine verses is used six times. Six times. Does this mean that we don't think about the future? No, no, no. Christians must plan for the future. We just don't worry about the future. So if the logic of Jesus' argument holds, then worry can only result from a lack of a genuine belief in God's goodness and mercy. And the reason why this is so important, if if you don't get anything else, get this. The reason why this is so important, Timothy was, Paul was trying to help Timothy with this understanding that anxiety, anxiety was a common, common thing in the lives of people who were involved with pagan religions during that time. 
This is why people would cut themselves. This is why people would mutilate themselves. This is why people would offer their children as, as offerings to die, to try to appease an angry, despotic God. And Paul was trying to say, Timothy, don't you understand? You don't want to be mistaken for these people. You don't want to be mistaken for being one of these who are living out this pagan religion. Ritual after ritual after ritual being done to appease an angry God. A God who if I did anything wrong, if I said anything wrong, he was going to squash me. Paul was saying, don't be confused. Don't let people confuse you with this. Does that make sense? He's saying anxiety was a part of these pagan religions. And this is why people did what they did. But Paul was teaching that a sound mind leads to discipline, a single-minded devotion to a good and a merciful God. Not a double-minded division of thinking regardless of the situation. It's kind of like the mom who had two sons and one son sold umbrellas. So she would wake up each morning to see if the sun was shining and if it wasn't and it was raining, she would be happy because she knew that her son would be able to sell umbrellas that day. The other son sold fans. (laughs) So she would wake up in the morning and if it was raining, she would just fret because the sun couldn't sell any fans. So no matter what the weather was like, she was just fretting all the time. In contrast, even when the storms come, a single-minded devotion is like the mother whom her son describes this way. Whether the weather be good or whether the weather be not, whether the weather be cold or the weather be hot, Whatever the weather, she weathered the weather, whether she likes it or not. Now, when you think of discipline, sometimes you think, ugh, ugh, ah. Even the word itself makes your stomach upset. Think of discipline this way, as a momentum of good habits, regardless of the situation. And good habits are the result of good choices. The psalmist tells us, here's a good choice, Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. We live in a world where people are rushing headlong into ruin because of the choices that people are making and the implication of those choices are very destructive in their lives. Would you agree with that? Some things just never change because... Several millennia ago, Jeremiah, the prophet, stood up in front of the people and he said, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. He says, look into the future, stand where you are and look in the future. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. 
Jeremiah was calling the people to stop their mad rush to ruin. They were standing at the crossroads of their future, and God told them to take the proper road, the old path, the road of faith that was laid out in divine revelation given to them by God because it contains a promise. And the promise is that you will find rest for your soul. Anybody need rest for your soul? Trust God. Commit to walk in his way. That's what Paul was telling young Timothy. And as you live this disciplined life, eventually this momentum of good habits is so great that stopping is harder than continuing on. Let me illustrate this. Anybody know what a flywheel is? Flywheel is a large disc can be a metal disc, a concrete disc, mounted horizontally on an axle. And as you begin to push this flywheel, it seems hard at first, but you begin to push and it makes a rotation and then it makes another rotation and then a tenth rotation and a hundredth rotation. And pretty soon something happens that's amazing. With another push, there's a breakthrough that happens. And the momentum kicks into your favor. And the heaviness of that wheel begins working for you because every turn of that flywheel builds on the work that was done earlier, compounding your investment of effort. And if someone were to ask you, hey, what was the big push that caused this thing to go so fast? You, would say, I, 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 you couldn't identify just one thing because it was everything working together. That's what it's like to create a momentum of good habits. Discipline requires us waiting on God. David knew something about this in Psalm 27. He was feeling the pressure of fear in his life. And he says in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The word dread in verse 2 is a very important word. It means to be in awe. It means to be filled with reverence. David is saying that the Lord was so significant, so overwhelmingly important to him that no other thing, no other person made him stand in awe like God. And this was important because in verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David knows that anything that's worth having is worth waiting for. And so the term wait in this verse is from a Hebrew word that means to twist or to turn. The, the noun form of this means a line or a rope. So we see a word picture that David is painting for us because this verb describes the making of a rope by turning and twisting. And the idea here is that we are to twist and turn ourselves so tightly around God that our weakness is replaced by his power and his strength. 
So if you're waiting on God, keep waiting. Keep twisting yourself around him because his life will become your life. His thoughts will become your thoughts. His ways will become your ways. And his momentum is generated. Now back to Paul and Timothy. So what's going on here? Paul was helping this young man understand who he was and what God had done for for him. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to you. I want to, come as, I want to come alongside you today and be an encouragement like Paul was to Timothy. If we will actually see who God is, who he really is and who we are in him, it will make all the difference in the world when it comes to letting go of fear. Nowhere do we find this magnified more than in Romans chapter 8. In the first verse of Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that some good news? None. No condemnation. None. Romans 8 verse 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the most intimate name that we could come to God with, Abba, Father. Why? Because we're not, we're not slaves to fear. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Now, what about that? In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How many things? All things. Are, are, you, are you getting this a little bit? One of my favorites, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, not powers, nor height, not depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you see yourself this way? See, many of us are trying to let go of fear by trying to let go of fear. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. When we begin to see who God is and we begin to see who we are in him, what happens is fear just kind of dissipates because perfect love casts out fear. For you, as a follower of Christ, the war is over. It's over. Okay? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that for 25 years after World War II, Japanese soldiers were holed up in caves eating rats and rodents because they didn't realize that the war was over? 
They were prisoners of fear. Prisoners of fear. I'm going to let you in on some really good news this morning. God has not given you the spirit of fear. He has given you power. He's given you love. He's given you a sound mind. So there are really only two ways to live. We either live in fear or we live by faith. In fear or by faith. The only way that we can break the grip of fear is to begin to trust God, take a risk, and love people. That's the only way. Because perfect love casts out fear. Imagine what your life would be like if you would just trust God, take a risk, and live boldly by faith and love every person that God brings in your path. Imagine what this community of faith would be like in 2013 if we trusted God and were willing to live boldly by faith, loving people that God puts in our path. Do you think your family would be different? You think the community would be different? Do you think the schools in which your kids go would be different? Do you think that our world would be different if we simply trusted God, took a risk, and loved people? Here's God's promise. Our life transformation doesn't happen in just one fell swoop. It's a cumulative process. Step by step, action by action, decision by decision. And what happens is this momentum of good habits results from good choices that we make. And God says through Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's God's promise to you. That's his promise that what he began in you, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. I want to close with a story and I want to read part of it. There was a young man who discovered this truth early in his ministry before he conducted one of the most important events in American history. He was at a conference in the hills of the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California. This young man acknowledged that his faith was wavering and he could not help others while he was faltering. So on this special day, he went out into the woods to meditate and pray. He made up his mind that he would either give up what little Christian faith he had, or he would discover a stronger base upon which to stand for Christ. He opened the Bible, and this is the verse that caught his attention. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He said, it dawned on me that day 
that what faith I had was a gift from God and his reserves were boundless. That if I would consent to receive, he was ready, willing, and able to keep on giving. From that day until this, he's never stopped giving and performing that which he has begun. And since that day, Billy Graham has preached to millions of people calling them to trust Christ and live boldly by faith. Let me ask you this morning, as we close, will you trust God today? Will you take a risk living boldly by faith? And would you love every person that God brings in your path? from today until our days are over. It'll make a difference in your life. It'll make a difference in your family. It'll make a difference in this church. It will make a difference in our community. And ultimately, it'll make a difference in our world. Will you receive this today? Will you say, yes, God, I receive that. I consent to receive what you have for me and understanding who you are and understanding who I am in you. And even right now, I sense the fear is dissipating from my life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together here. Thank you for these wonderful people. God, I pray for that person who is paralyzed by fear this morning. I pray for that person who is so worried about the unknown. God, would you help them to see who you really are, what they have in you already, the power, the love, the disciplined mind. Would you help them to recognize who they are in Christ? Would you, would you today lead them to say, God, I trust you. And I'm willing to take the risk that you're calling me to take because I know there are people who need to be loved and you want me to love that special person today. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everything that you are. And we thank you that um, you loved us enough and you demonstrated that love through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.